good afternoon, tennis fans, tennis scholars, and fans and admirers of us. Uh, we're really glad to know that we have uh, created more tennis fans just based on their admiration for us, and we want that to continue. And no better way to do that than to talk all things U.S. Open. Uh, we're getting close to the finish line in the U.S. Open, and so we really want to uh, volley as many topics as possible uh, to appease our audience and also to indulge our own tennis genius. So uh, good afternoon or good evening. Philip, what time is it uh, where you're at? I'm in Paris. I'm back in Paris. It's around 10 p.m. Um, yeah, and it's uh, right before the women's semifinal. So Djokovic beat uh, Milman last night, and the men's semi is going to start tomorrow. So, in other words, you can get some rest tonight and save, <laughs> and save your energy. For Peter's not on the podcast today, so we can say these things. You're going to save your energy for, for tomorrow, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much. I'll have a good good night's sleep tonight. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, if, 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 if what has happened in the past with Rafa and Del Potro, uh, which, which likely should happen tomorrow, happens again, it, it should be a long night. Yeah. So, regardless, I, you, I know you've had a little chance to see it on TV. By any chance, did you actually – I heard you were back in the States. Did you get a chance to see the U.S. Open? Uh, funny you mention it because, in fact, uh, I was at the U.S. Open. In fact, uh, I was there with you. <laughs> That's right. You know what? I uh, I turned from a solid um, to a liquid and then I think a gas, maybe even a vapor during my time there. So I, my, my memory is a little bit jarred. Yeah. But, but I, do, I do specifically remember us doing a little bit of seat chasing, uh, kind of. You know, working working our system to get ourselves some preferred seating during the uh, sauna-like weather on Monday, uh, and I'm pretty proud of ourselves. So I'm wondering, in that regard, you know, I, I think that we're we're quite, we're quite adept at that in the tennis world of of taking a seat for the plebeians and and moving t towards where the patricians go. Is there anything else that you feel like you, you've been able to apply your seat chasing your metaphoric seat chasing skills too so so first to um add a little bit of context we had seats way up top at arthur ash stadium and we're able to sit in like the 500 seats like right on the baseline just because we just decided we were going to do it and it turned out the ushers weren't um, paying much attention um did you ever actually sit in in the assigned seats? Or you didn't even consider it. Oh, not 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 even once. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's something it's something I'm proud of. Actually, my most proud moment was slipping past one of the Louis Armstrong uh, um, ushers, and I was like right behind Chilich in his Gauthier match. And yeah, it was the best seat I've ever had in a stadium. And yeah, it was pretty good. Um, as for Actually, I can remember one time you were sitting literally uh, courtside when you were six. <laughs> we might have been watching Agassi or somebody else, and you, you and your brother started to try to walk, uh, climb over the wall onto the courts. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay, so this is the second best seat. Um, yeah, uh, so example, real-life examples analogous to that. Um, one that jumps to mind is that in Israel um, – nobody stands in line there's just sort of a jumble around like the ticket counter or like the Sounds vending like the machine or yeah it's uh 
And they just sort of consider you a sucker if you're, like, standing in line instead of, like, trying to get ahead. And uh, more generally, one thing that I consider uh, an analogous situation is uh, traveling in general. If you're going to wait for all of your friends to be ready for a trip in order to, like, go somewhere, you're just not going to travel to as many places or see as many things as if you... Uh, have the balls and just uh, uh, just do it yourself, uh, traveling alone. What about you, Mark? Any other analogous situation? Yeah, I've done. Yeah, I've been done quite a bit of airplane seat chasing. Uh, I'm not a fan of lines at all. I guess that maybe I do have some Israeli blood in me, <laughs> so I just can't handle lines. So what I do is I keep some of my old. Uh, I keep some of my old. Um, uh, ticket number, deli line ticket numbers, actually in here, and and I just apply it. And then if there's two people with the same number, I I, try, I convince the the deli counter guy that the other person has taken it from the wrong place. So I, I've done that. I've done that on airplanes a couple of times. And my other thing now is I start talking to the waitresses before the flight takes off. I start speaking to the waitresses a lot in the front, and it's been getting me free food. I'll just go up there and be like, oh, you know, any uneaten food. Uh, from the first class, and then if there's two seats open, twice on a flight to Ecuador, I, they just moved me to first class. Oh, so uh, wait, getting pretty good at it. So what you do is just talk to the stewardess like pretty early on, and uh, ingratiate yourself and they curry favor, ask them if they have kids. You know, I'll even go so far as say, if your kid ever needs any free tutoring, please let me know. And then yeah, exactly, ingratiate myself. Invariably, it leads to free food and uh, drink refills and sometimes it's led to you know m moving up uh, you know moving up to the big wig seats has it ever has it ever moved to uh, your hotel room uh, later that <laughs> night no, no it's, I really you know in the past it was either I, I was taking like 26 27 students from my Miami on these trips and then recently it's always more or less been with my wife Okay. Uh, so we've, we've moved up. So, but I mean, it's tempting, you know. I think if I if I were to play the cards a little bit more right, maybe the free tutoring would be with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's free tutoring. <laughs> you didn't you didn't ex explicate what it, what kind of tutoring. Um, yeah, you always got to play that free tutoring card. So, so speaking <laughs> of tutoring, yeah. What what players, um, you know, now that we're sort of towards the middle of week two. Uh, appear like they need uh, significantly more tennis tutoring than they thought. Oh, um, well, there's uh, the student that is always in the remedial class, or has been <laughs> since the beginning of the year. Uh, his name is Jack Sock. Uh, he 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 just needs uh, he just needs like years of summer school. Like I don't think he's ever going to catch up again. And then, or did they? But they corrected. One form of remediation is he gets to play half his matches with somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah. So now he's actually uh, number, I think, seven in the world in doubles now, <laughs> um, which is insane. It's also insane that Mike Bryan has qualified for the ATP World Tour Finals in doubles with two different partners, like is with Bob Bryan and Jack Sock, which I'm not sure if that's, that's ever happened before. Can he actually can can they bend the rules? I mean that actually if they're not playing against each other, I like the fact that he can he can I, double up. I just don't think uh, Bob Bryan will be healthy 
for the finals. But yeah, that would be interesting to see what what happened. Um, yeah. Should who, that should they be given? Should he be given an extra grand? I mean, that actually sounds like the equivalent almost of winning a singles uh, uh, calendar grand slam. Yeah, it's just an insane uh, thing, um, and I think it like helps that uh, Bob got injured like right before Wimbledon, so he has had like half the season with one partner, half the season with another. Um, so a calendar plays into it, but yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. Um, so who who else needs a definite summer school if not you know day and evening classes? As as for as for others who need Sverev for sure. Uh, <laughs> he has um, solidified his status as just a bitch. Um, yeah, I is saw him the, play. Is he the most? Is he the most pusillanimous? Player yeah, him tour, and Kyrgios or, or... Uh, have about the same uh, level of pusillanimity. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Kyrgios is slightly more of a pus, but um, it's uh, yeah, Sverev is just like. Again, he made the third round and was just, he lost to Cole Schreiber and was just, he feel, I was there at the match. He just, it feels like he, he's, he has this like air of entitlement about him that's just like uh, not fun to watch. He's just kind of a brat on court. And uh, yeah, there's also just no, um, no real like excuse now for his like, Grand Slam melodies, like he's been on, he's been playing Grand Slams for three years now, and the best he's how done many times, is how the fourth round. How many times has he lost to a seed higher than him in a Grand Slam? I'm almost tempted to say none, maybe one. No, no, he lost to Rafa in the U.S. Open, or in the Aussie Open one time before he was like ranked highly. But I mean, since okay, but I'm saying since since he's been in the top twenty. Yeah, since he's been in the top twenty or top ten, uh, yeah, never because he's never gotten far enough. Um, to lose to a seed higher than him. Adding to our list of players that definitely need some summer school, uh, I would say Corinth uh, just performed so poorly uh, at Wimbledon, and then here he didn't really put up much of a fight on national TV against Obotro. You know, if he's going to make the turn, he's got to make it sooner than later. And then and I would also say Dushrov uh, just has held his rank. Even though the ranking has dropped a lot, he's honored his rank very poorly. So I, I would put him as in, in somebody who, who at least has to go to summer school this year. Yeah, Dimitrov, the only reason he's still ranked highly is he won the um, ATP World Tour Finals last season, um, which was 1,500 points. But, uh, yeah, he's going to drop soon um, because he really hasn't had the results this year. Um yeah, and and uh, George, I agree. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh, hopefully, he has a great game though, and hopefully, he like keeps keeps improving steadily. Um, and yeah. Well, do you think, in the same way that the players can really have like a career renaissance, or maybe hit their peak at thirty two or thirty three, do you think that these the young guns can wait a little bit longer to have their breakthrough? Or do you think the window of opportunity is still what it was before, where you really have to like make the semis or the finals of a major at, at 21, 22, or 23? Yeah, it's hard to say because um, there hasn't been a new star in 15 years, you know? So it's really hard to say what the new star, what, what it means to be a new star. Um, you know what I'm saying? 
I do, I do. I mean, Del Potro won his first at 19 or 20. These, the, the other three big guys. Murray was a little later, right? He was probably 24, 25. Yeah, but he had, but been, he had five, been in like nine finals, finals before he, he won his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think that's this is one of those things you only know when when you've seen it. It's hard to project, but um, that would make sense as careers are lasting longer. Um, primes start later. So, uh, yeah, maybe winning a Grand Slam at 22 or 23 is the uh, right now is the same as uh, winning one at 18 or 19 uh, 15 years ago. Well, speaking of young Grand Slam winners, it, it, it really seems that, you know, nobody's rolling over. And I think, you know, kind of like in golf where Tiger Woods, I think, made the comp just by his greatness, he made the competition better. You know, I think the big three have made the competition better. They haven't quite caught up. So, uh, you know, Rafa, I guess he won his first at 19 or 20. Do you think that he should have to be winning matches? I know the tennis players are very privileged. But 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 finishing up a really tight match at 1.30 or 2 in the morning, do you think that there there's a, maybe a, some middle ground where if they want to stick these uh, women in a, in a men's match at night that they can make it happen and have them both finish before midnight? Or do you think that, hey, they should just be, whether it's 2 in the morning, 1 in the morning, 4, windy or not, they should be able to win under, under any circumstances? Yeah, so the issue here, I think, is that you just never know how long a tennis match is going to go. Like, the variance is so high that um, it's really, really hard to schedule. Um, so, like, a men's match can go anywhere between um, two hours for, like, a quick match best of five to uh to five hours which was pretty much what the nadal team i think was four hours 49 minutes um and then when that goes like after a women's match which can last anywhere from like an hour and 15 minutes to like three hours um yeah like having the night session start at seven um makes it so that uh if you have a three-hour match followed by a five-hour match it's going to end at three in the morning. Um, and that happens every so often. Um, the issue is that uh, the US Open likes to stagger the night and the day session. Like people buy distinct tickets for Ash at, like after 7 p.m. or before 7 p.m. And that probably, uh, I'm guessing the US Open really benefits in revenue from that. That, in addition to like the U.S. Open's um, tradition of exciting night matches that last till early in the morning, um, I think that makes it um, sort of something that uh, I mean the players. Um, it sort of messes, probably messes up their sleep schedules and even their recovery, um, but it's just not something that's going to change. Yeah, the only the only middle ground I thought was that they could actually sell more tickets, and you alternate. I mean, Louis Armstrong is big enough, is you just put one match on, and maybe you stagger it by an hour or an hour and a half, uh, but you put a women's match on at arms. Uh, let's say, you know, you alternate days. One match starts at 7 on, on Arthur Ashe, another match starts at 8 or 8.30 on Louis Armstrong. People could buy tickets for both. Uh, if a match ended early and there's seats open, they can wait in the line and, and hop into the other court. I just, you know, if if uh, if Rothman team had played on Wednesday, I think 
and I, I hear from uh, the group that I know that speaks to Rafa's manager that he is completely gassed. I mean, like lactic acid buildup almost like never before because it's on hard court. If he had less than 48 hours to prep for the next, next match, he would have been done. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think the fact that he got two days to recover was like a godsend for him. So, uh, speaking of which, uh, how do you see the rest of the tournament unfolding? You predicted Nishikori doing, I saw in, in our predictions that you had him in the quarters. Uh, do you think he's, you know, back in the top ten to stay? And, and how do you see the matches playing out tomorrow? Yeah, uh, I think he's back to stay. I actually had Chilich in the semis, so... Uh, Nishikori um, exceeded my uh, my expectations. But you, him, but you had him for the quarters, which I'm not so sure how many others did. Yeah, yeah, I had him in the quarters, and um, yeah, just because I had zero confidence in Sarah, um, and my my lack of confidence was rewarded. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think he's just steadily getting better. Like the the issue for Nishikori, his game is like so good when he's firing it's just can he stay healthy and he's just had so many um injuries in the past that i think he's gonna get injured he's he's his is gonna be a career that's always um like uh up and, riddled up and by yeah riddled by injuries um but um he looks good now and i when he is like at the top of his game he's uh He's a surefire top 10 player. Um, one thing that I sort of was like, uh, sort of surprised by it. It's been four years since uh, Chilich's US Open win, which is four years since Nishikori's uh, greatest result ever, which was his US Open finals appearance. Um, and yeah, uh, he's been a great player, but um, it's sort of surprising that he has not um either equaled or improved on that mark in four whole years right whereas Silich has made the finals in at least two tournaments and maybe the semis of another yeah yeah he's made yeah two uh, an aussie open a wimbledon final and a wimbledon semi um yeah it's just uh and he won cincinnati once or twice i mean he's had a good run yeah chillich has had like um Results that uh, show that even though he's probably not going to be a uh, four or five time Grand Slam winner, one Grand Slam wasn't necessarily a fluke. Whereas uh, Nishikori now has fewer uh, Grand Slam finals appearances than Kevin Anderson. <laughs> That's funny. That is true. Two, two and less in the calendar. So, how do you see the matches playing out tomorrow? Yeah, let's let's take some different possibilities. Yeah, um, I think uh, the Nadal Del Potro match is the real toss up. Um, I had Rafa in my bracket as winning the tournament, but um, that team match was um, as much of a slugfest as any match I've seen. Um, and it's lucky for Rafa; he gets two days to recover from it. And if anyone can do it, it's him. But uh, you need to be at your peak to beat Del Potro. And, uh, when Del Potro's on, it makes it. He plays very well at the U.S. Open. Yeah, and he's looking pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm hoping for Rafa, but I, I think uh, it's 50-50 and maybe 55-45 um, Del Potro. Yeah, 
in my mind. What do you think? Well, I didn't see the team match. Did it finish in a fifth set tiebreaker or was it just seven five in the fifth? Uh, fifth set tiebreaker. Wow. And yeah. They all held, did they hold serve in the fifth set or they broke each other once? Um, they uh, they broke each other. No, I forget. I think they held serve actually. For the most part. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like there's two scenarios. If it won since he was, you know, at the break of defeat and also in the third round, uh, maybe he feels like he's playing with the house's money and there's nothing to lose and maybe he just plays more aggressively and, you know, doesn't feel like he has to defend the title so much as just, you know, he's, he's still alive. And then the other is just that uh, Del Potro might be due for a win against Rafa on a big stage and if the, the lot... Uh, as opposed to normally, the longer the match goes, the more it will favor Del Potro. Because I, my guess is that uh, Del Potro's played m many fewer sets and that Rafa has just accumulated a lot of hours on court in this tournament. Yeah, no Del matter how fit he is. Del Potro has lost one set, and it was to Isner in a tie break. Um, and, uh, yeah, he said at the end of the Isner match that he was tired. So he's... Uh, and uh, I think what helps Rafa a little bit is that uh, the courts are playing really slow. They're like as slow as you can get for hard courts. Um, and yeah, even, even though he had that team match, like uh, he's just such a fit player. Um, and especially under the sun, like I think there are a lot of things that they're playing the first match. So like it'll be during the day. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that, um, play to his favor. Um, yeah, but what, like what you were saying, uh, Del Potro pushed Rafa to the brink in Wimbledon. Uh, he lost, uh, pretty handily in the U.S. Open last year and in, um, Roland Garros, but this is the fourth either quarter or semifinal in a Grand Slam they've played in the last five Grand Slams. Um, and, uh, Del Potro might be overdue. Yeah, and this is his tournament, and he also has not made a final since, right? Since he made one the U.S. Open. Yeah, so he hasn't made a Grand Slam final since two thousand nine. Um, but yeah, he he he's had um his fair share of injuries though, so that can't be. It's not like totally. Yeah. Him right, choking. Right, not, not comparing apples and apples. Yeah. So I'm gonna stick with my predictions. I predicted Delpo for, for a couple reasons. I just feel like he makes the quarters. He's the toughest out in the game, one of the toughest outs uh, on hard courts. And I feel like Rafa just hasn't – he's gritted his way through some matches, but I don't think he's played his best tennis. Maybe he's due for it, but he's dug himself some holes and just had to pull you know, Rafa-esque things to dig himself out. I don't think he could afford to dig himself another hole. I don't think – others have kind of really tightened up on big points, and I don't think Del Potro will. So I think – I would also agree. I'd go fifty-five, forty-five, Delpo. Yeah. Um, so if we're really confident in our assessments, we would bet on it because uh, the uh, the markets are one and a half to one in favor of Rafa. So, so like he's a three to two. So he's a two to three favorite. So you want, are we going six dollars, nine dollars? You said you put six on Rafa. You get six for Rafa, and I get nine for Delpo. Or are we going two dollars and three dollars? Or are we going, we're going, we're going yeah, so, so I agree with you that Delpo should be favored. 
Um, but yeah, the market has your offer at one and a half to one. So uh, $6 on Rafa would be $9 on Delpo. No, we can something to discuss. Let's talk yeah. about the other match. Uh, I, I, I thought that Millman is a, is a good fighter, and he should be top 30. I, I'm not a big fan of the excessive fist pumping against uh, the Stars because I think it just gets under their skin and just makes them want to ratchet up their game even more. You know, like maybe fist pump at the end of a game, but like sticking your hand up, you know, like you just hit a big three-pointer. I, I don't think he has enough skin in the game uh, to be kind of being that demonstrative. And, and I think it, it bit him a little bit in the end. I, you know, I, you know, Del, po, Del po could do that or Mercedes or somebody who's like, you know, earned some hardware. But, uh, but uh, Millman, I think, made a little bit of a mistake. I just think, you you know, you don't showboat in front of people with that many grand slams. I think uh, I actually disagree. I think uh, I really liked his energy um, just because, like, yeah, he's never done anything, but he was just, like, positive energy like that shows that you believe in yourself and believe that you can do something and that you're right there. And, uh, yeah, I think that's actually one of the things that uh, pushed him over the finish line against Federer was that Federer was feeling, like, terrible in the conditions, and he looks over the side of the court, and this guy's fist-pumping like crazy. Um, yeah. It sort of oh, makes yeah. you want to oh, get yeah. off the court a little quicker. Oh, yeah, Australian, anyway. It's kind of like following Hewitt. Yeah. It was, like, fist-pump in the, in the warm-ups. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So how do you see that? How do you see the evening match playing out? Uh, with Nishikori and Delpo, or uh, Nishikori and Djokovic, I think Djokovic wins in either three or four. Like, uh, yeah, Djokovic's career um, record against Nishikori is uh, 14 and 2. Um, one of those two was actually a semifinal match in the U.S. Open, so there is precedent for Nishikori uh, toppling him on this stage. Um, but I just think Joker is too good. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I think any hard prediction, or it, it's hard. You know, if somebody makes it this far, they, they, they have the goods to win a title. Uh, but Joker just, yeah, he's got the look back. He's got the speed back. He's got everything, you know. He's, uh, he gets pissed off at the right time. Um, he's going to be a tough out. Yeah, I, I would go Joker in four. He usually has a little hiccup in the second sets, so I could see it in the splitting sets, and then Joker just ratcheting it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like uh, yeah, that sounds like my prediction as well. Um, my my final my my final question for you, maybe at least one of my final two is, you know, how do you think how do you think Federer should play his cards going forward? Uh, through through a source, I, I heard that he actually does want to play on clay again. One because service is a little bit lighter, and I feel like you know. But he won it in a bin, so I'm thinking maybe if he's going to skip a Grand Slam, that might be the one to skip. I'm just curious, you know, how you think he should play his cards, let's say, for the next two years? Um, for the next two years? Um, I actually think he's doing it the right way, except I would play even fewer turn tournaments that aren't Grand Slams. Like, I wouldn't play the Labor Cup. I, yeah, I think uh, it's... 
if I were Federer, I would pretty much only play Grand Slams and Grand Slam tune-ups. Um, so, like, I would play uh, the Australian, like, Brisbane and then the Australian Open. And then I would play, like, uh, Rome and then Roland Garros. And then I would play Hal and then Wimbledon. And then I would play uh, Cincinnati before the U.S. Open. But, yeah, I would probably limit it to, like, eight tournaments a year. And then, and then pack it in or play, go try to make it to the Masters and maybe one before? I would pack it in probably just because, uh, yeah, it's uh, he knows how to play tennis, you know. Um, and what's important to him or what it seems like is important to him is uh, Grand Slam, his Grand Slam count, not his ranking. Um, and so, like, even if he's seated number 24 in a Grand Slam, like, uh, he knows he can beat anyone um, on any given day. He won the Australian Open as the number 17 seed uh, two years ago. Um, and so, yeah, if what he's looking for is Grand Slam tally, then that's how I would do it. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think once he can find what he wants. So I heard that he actually wants to, to finish at number one. Oh, wow. Way. No, I mean, I don't know. You know, that's one source. There's a million sources, and he's probably still figuring it out. But uh, You I know what throws a wrench into that plan is Djokovic's resurgence. It's just yeah. like there's no way Federer is going to wrestle the number one ranking away from Djokovic once he uh, reclaims his throne. Yeah, that would be my last question. Do you think that's going to happen this year? Or do you just think it's it's not a matter of, of, you know, specifically when it's an inevitability and once he reclaims it, he's not going to relinquish it for a while? Yeah, I agree that he's going to reclaim it inevitably and he's not going to relinquish it for a while. Um, but it's unclear whether he does it um, at the end of this year or early next year um, because – Rafa has um, enough of a lead that uh, that it'll be hard for Joker to do um, this year, but it's not impossible if he just sort of um, runs the table. So let's uh, let's see how the Masters play out tomorrow, and maybe we can get a few more of our uh, of our our tennis oligarchy here and and and. Uh, handicap the final should be a great day of tennis tomorrow maybe not as good as the tennis tonight but still a great day and uh maybe you know is there any seat chasing you think you have any form of seat chasing you, you think you could do uh before we speak again before we speak again uh any form of seat chasing um do you have anything in mind yeah i'm gonna try to seat chase at the grocery store today I'm going to try to sneak up on the deli line without a number and, and just look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good one. Um, I might uh, go to like a bakery at the end of the day, see if they're giving away like um, half-priced pastries or something. Or just talk them into it. Good yeah. call. <laughs> All right, well, uh, have a good rest of the day, and uh, – to our listeners, um, we're gonna do when we'll uh, 
see you again at our uh, U.S. Open recap. Yeah, or maybe even a, a prediction. So enjoy the tennis, but more importantly, enjoy us since we're really where the action is. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> All right.